The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 13th chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. He said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This is the gospel of our Lord. Anybody have a mailbox coin holder? A little mailbox piggy bank? Instead of a piggy bank, mailbox bank? Anybody have one of those? I didn't. Um, I was just wondering if the person who collects these, if the reason they collected it is because they thought it was such a neat looking little thing that they would have to dust off their countertops, you know, take the dust off every six months or so. Or maybe they have it because something about this reminded them of a time in a place, in a person. And that's why it was treasure. You know, why did they collect things? You know, the first thing that Miss Scanlon mentioned was this angel, I dare to hold it. And you remember why she said it was special to her? What? Her mother gave this to her. I'm thinking of the things right now that my mother's given to me, and I still have my mother, but someday she won't be there to hear her voice and see her face. I'm going to miss that. And maybe I'll hold on to something that will remind me of that. So these treasures, yeah, why do we, why do we collect them? So treasures, and that got me thinking, you know, because the day's gospel lesson, the very first part that we had, had something to do with treasures. About a guy who found a treasure, and then he kind of hid it, and he went and he sold everything he had. I mean, you think about everything that you own. If you, what would you, what could you find on this earth that you would sell everything you have? If you're hiking out in the hills and maybe you find a, a, a something shiny in the side of a, of a of a rock face, you say, "Wow, that's kind of." Shiny. And you go and you look and you poke on it and, if, and it crumbles out and you see, "Well, this is, looks like it's, it might be gold." And you go have it tested and it is gold. Well, you might. Sell your house and your cars and everything else you have so you can go buy that piece of land. Because in that piece of land, there might be a whole vein of gold that would buy you 50 houses and 50 cars and stuff for your generations to come. So finding something of value that would make you want to sell it. Well, on the, on the, on the Bible times, and actually it's just not Bible times, it's probably just about every place in culture around. When armies came, or bandits would come, or just hordes of people would come, and you're out on a farm, you're probably living in small family pods or something like that. If you knew something was coming, you would probably, if you were wise, you'd take that, 
you would wrap it up, put it in a box if you had access to a box. You'd quickly go out, dig a hole next to some marker that you would try to remember, dig a hole, put it in the ground, cover it back up, and then go. So when the bad guys show up and they're going through your house and they're rummaging through stuff, they might find some odds and ends that don't mean much to you, but they won't get your good stuff. They'll think, oh, this is just a peasant, let's move on. Well, sometimes they would just get mad that you didn't have anything or they knew what you did, and they'd just take your head. They'd just kill you. They'd stab you. They'd strike you down. Now, who's going to find your treasure? You stuck it in the ground. You buried it so that they couldn't find it. Now you're dead. Who's going to find it? Well, eventually someone will. You know, we have those coins. There was a metal finders these days. But back then, maybe it'll just be erosion. Maybe an animal would dig something up. So in the Bible lesson, you can easily see that there would have been, in the analogy of that, that somebody's going across the field, and for some reason, he just maybe sees the top of a box. That's all they see is the top of a box. So, well, oh, there might be something good in this. So they start moving the dirt around, and they open it up and say, wow, this treasure box has treasure. It's a treasure box. So they quick put the lid back down, cover with dirt, and they go and buy everything they got. That's kind of the analogy. So if we find something of value, is this worth so much that we're willing to sell all the small stuff to get the big stuff? So that's kind of the theme on that one on the Old Testament, that you'll find something in, in God that's worth everything in the world because what you see in God is the only thing that has lasting and eternal value, and the rest of the stuff fades. It won't be very much longer before the angel will fade and these little things will be there and... It just kind of goes away. So then thinking about the treasures and what's worth that we go all in for, I was thinking, well, what is it that's treasure in our world? And then what's the box that holds it? And then what's more valuable, the box or the treasure? And now these days, this box is worth something. For people who are like antique collectors and something, this box has a pretty good value. However, if it's got a bunch of gold and silver and other stuff on the inside, the contents could far out... Um, have value and importance than the box itself. So thinking about the containers versus the contents. Once you have a thing about that, up in here in front of you, and we passed out some papers, so if you have those papers available, you can write some stuff down. So in the middle of that picture, there's a box. Surrounding that's kind of a circle. I wasn't very good at making something that would look more like a, a nest or a, uh, a cradle, if you will. So I just made a circle, and we'll just divide it up. But you can almost imagine this as being kind of a cradle of sorts or a box, this whole circle. And that's one of the things that was... All right, so on this cradle, in the very middle is the box. We're going to get to that. On this bottom side down here in this... It's even on the screens. It says Old Testament. So if you want to write on there, Old Testament. So if the think about the Old Testament, we'll have patriarchs, prophets, priests, kings, patriarchs. You got think people like Abraham, Noah. You have Moses. You have um, Isaac and Jacob. You have these patriarchs that have come through the history. We have prophets that have come through this. So. That's some of the messages or some of the stories in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is histories. It's life stories. It's about God's promises with people. It's about covenants between God and God's people. He says, you are my people. I want to be your God. He's always, he likes to say that. You're my treasured possession. Can I be your God? He wants to be our God. And there's even a dream of one of God's that someday in the future... 
You will be my people and you will say, and you are my God. Right? So we have that on this Old Testament. And one of the treasured gems that keeps coming out of that is that our God is merciful. If you were to ask some of the Jewish people of those times, they would say, what, who is your God? Well, they wouldn't say the name because it was holy, but they would say God or Adonai, Lord. Our Lord is, he is merciful because he's always looking at us and he has to be merciful because we're not too easy to like most of the time. He is merciful and he is slow to anger. Because we're always doing things consistently that is going to wreck a relationship with him and with other people. Merciful, slow to anger. And the last component, abounding in steadfast love. The God of this Old Testament. Now, when you think about the Old Testament, is the Old Testament the box or is it the treasure? A little of both. What makes it the box or what makes it the treasure? Just think about it. I'm not going to ask for answers. Just start stirring it up in your head. What is it? Is the Old Testament the object of worship or is the God of the Old Testament the object of worship? There's a difference. There's a subtle difference. Now go over here and write down New Testament on that little section of your paper. New Testament. Four gospel books, 23 letters or other kinds of literature that's in there. In there, the gem of the New Testament is Jesus Christ. Closely associated that with the Holy Spirit. Closely associated that would be the church. But in this New Testament, we have God in Jesus. He's healing. He's saving. He's raising people from the dead. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to forgive sins. He's going to be resurrected. He's going to show us a new life. And He's going to breathe on this gift of the Holy Spirit. And in there we have parables. We have history. We have visions. We have teachings. Jesus in there is a love. And that one of the gifts that we saw in the Old Testament, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, is that in the New Testament, it's like proven. I say this all the time. You ask God if He loves you, and Jesus says from the cross, this much. And He breathes His last. We are not to forget that we are loved. That there is nothing that we can ever do this day, tomorrow, or the next day that will make God stop loving us. God loves us and there's nothing that we can do about it. If that's a little slogan to keep in your mind, keep that one. God loves you and there's nothing that you can do about it. If you wonder if, you're for, if your sins are so big that you can't come back to Him, think about the cross. Is there anything bigger than the love of God for the whole world? No. So your sins are small by comparison of God's capacity to forgive. Okay, so the gift of this Holy Spirit or this New Testament is Jesus, His Holy Spirit, and um, that's the New Testament. Now, asking you again, is the New Testament collection of books, is that the box or is that the treasure of the box? Do we worship the book or do we worship the God that the book shows? There's a difference. Now think about all this. Now in our world, there are some denominations and folks in our world that all it's, it's just me and Jesus. They've got the Bible. They have this charismatic, enthusiastic speaker with some great music going, and it's and they've got Old Testament, New Testament, and they and they they do that. But I will suggest to you that there's more. There's more to this cradle, more to this box, than this. Not that this isn't complete. It's not about that, but there's more beauty to it. Go over here. Write down on this little section, write down the word apostles. Eleven or twelve originals, but we lost one, and then they replaced them with, by throwing lots. So we have twelve apostles. We have St. Paul. 
All right. So on those apostles, are the apostles the box? Are they the treasure? You think about this. Here's another question with this associated with apostles. We forget about this as a church. They all witnessed Jesus. Even the one that they voted in to replace Judas was follower of Jesus for that time. They all knew him. How many of the apostles wrote books? Wrote the, the, the Bible books? How many wrote Bible books? So the, of the 12 apostles, how many wrote them? Let's name them out. Who wrote some New Testament books? John, John wrote one. Ray wrote several. Who else? Paul wrote, well, Paul wasn't one of the 12 apostles. So I like the answer. Good. But of the 12 apostles, Matthew, Matthew and Paul, or Matthew and, and, and John, James, one more. Who's the one that said he got renamed to Rock? Peter. So of the 12 apostles, only four wrote books. Well, does that mean that the other ones just sat down, went home, went fishing, and never told the story to anybody? No. They traveled. They did the exact same thing that the four that we attribute to writing books did, only they didn't write their words down. I'll suggest to you that their words were communicated to someone's ears and to someone's lives from one generation to the next and to the next and to the next, and that our church remembers those collectively. Not in the Scriptures. But the scriptures don't contain the whole story of Jesus. Even John writes that in his gospel book. Not everything, not even all the volumes could hold it, but these are written so that you would believe. So on all these apostles, they, they wrote the books, Matthew, Peter, John, James. They have those. The other ones told their stories. So it's still collected within the church. It's still part of the treasure inside the box. But these guys are box. Let's go to the next one, liturgy. Closely associated with New Testament, Old Testament apostles, we have the liturgy. It's the worship of the church. It's where you take the word and all the teachings and you turn it around and you make it worship. You give God thanks and praise for all that God has done. In the the liturgy, we have a confession piece. We have an absolution piece. It's exactly what Jesus said to do. Our liturgy is reflecting the reason and purpose of the church. For us to repent, to confess our sins, and there be forgiven. And then after the confession, we have praise and times of thanksgiving. We have times where we remember the sacred and holy things. The, the body and the blood. We remember the baptisms. We remember the scriptures being read and coming to our ears. It's a life and work of the church, this liturgy. Now, is the liturgy the box... Or the treasure inside the box. More to our church, cradle. Some things that our modern world forgets. And says, hey, I just know, we, we might have heard them a long time ago, and we just, we, they get dusty. But like apostolic fathers are part of this cradle, I'll suggest. And then in the apostolic fathers, if you don't know some of the names, one would be St. Clement. He was out of Rome. Ignatius of Antioch, Parlycarp of Smyrna. Those are some that we call apostolic fathers. And if we've forgotten what apostolic fathers are, and it's easy for the modern world to forget, the apostles were the ones who knew Jesus. These are the ones who didn't have the chance to meet Jesus because of timelines or location, but they knew the apostles. And there was something that they saw in the apostles, something that the Holy Spirit just flowed out of them, and and something about the words that they would communicate that these apostles who walked with Jesus infected these apostolic fathers with such faith as they would do great things for their Lord. And the church remembers. It's not just me and Jesus in the Bible. It's me and all of this history that we have. Apostolic fathers. For example, one of the ones we remember on Polycarp, 
86-year-old man when he, was, when, he was, when he was dying. He was a bishop of... Uh, Smyrna is like in Turkey. It's in the, it's that part of the world. And so he's bishop of the church, and the persecutions came. And, and he's, he's, I think his birth date somewhere is between, somewhere in the 50s to 150s. He's, he's in that block. He died in the late one. And he had this persecution. And they said, you're going to give, you're going to make sacrifices to the Roman gods. Polycarp is a Christian man. Bishop of the church. Pastor of the church. He couldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. So then they said, if you don't do that, you're going to be killed. Frequently burning or feeding to other animals was a popular way of that they would torture people. And he had a vision that he was going to be burned, but he wouldn't renounce it. So they sent the guards to go find him. He, before he was arrested, he prayed for the guards. When the guards showed up, he says, can you just wait a moment? Because I want to pray for you. I, want, I need to pray. And they gave him a period of time to pray. And the guards are thinking, this gentle 86-year-old man is what's going to destroy our empire? He's a threat to our empire? Already there, the Holy Spirit is tenderizing their hearts to make them sensitive to a godly man. And here this guy, man, he prays. He willingly goes with them. They bring him up to the place where he's going to die. They have him tied to a post. They have all the wood around him, and they're going to set it on fire. And he's going to be burned to death. And they're going to hear him scream. And they're going to hear him beg for mercy. And they're going to hear all this stuff going on. But instead of hearing all that, he continued to pray. And the witnesses of that event said the fires didn't consume him. That the, like the wind was swirling around him and protecting him from the fire. He continued to pray. And all the haters and all the wannabes were watching him. And he prayed. And then um, they got frustrated, so they pierced him with a dagger. That's what took his life. And in that whole process, they said, you have a chance to live. Renounce your Lord. Make an offering to our gods. And he, this is one of the quotes famous to him. Eighty and six years have I been with my Lord, my, my, my King and my Savior? How could I renounce Him now? He wouldn't. His whole life was with His Lord and He wouldn't do it. That's not an exact quote. You can go online and find out exactly what He said. But 80 and 6 years I have been walking with my Lord. How could I renounce Him now? Now there's a lot of churches in the United States. They just got me and Jesus and they won't even remember the saints. We wouldn't have this collection of Bibles transmitted to us in a church we have without those saints. We are an apostolic church, Lutheran friends, and we don't forget. Polycarp was just one of the saints who did these things. Now, after the apostolic fathers passed, the next generation over here and the church fathers, these were the ones that were separated from the apostles. They never got to meet them like the apostolic fathers did. But they got to know the apostolic fathers, the church fathers did, and or the, the, the stretched out a little bit. So these would go from 150s plus to 150s to 400s, somewhere in there. So on the church fathers list, you'd have Justin, who was a martyr, Athanasius, Tertullian is some of the ones listed, John Chrysostom, Cyprian. And again, the thoughts and the words that were put from the Old Testament to the New Testament, through the apostles, in and through the liturgy, through apostolic fathers, infected these men with faith and a passion for their God that wouldn't be denied. Tertullian was one that, um, he, what was his line? I'll think about it. Cyprian said, one of the things he said, you can't call God Father 
You can't call God Father without having the church as the mother. You can't get to the treasure in the middle without all of this package that God presented it to you in. Um, I wish I remember what he said. It's just a cool one-liner. Oh, that happens sometimes. All right, moving on over here. Ecumenical councils, another thing that can be the part of the cradle. Between um, 325, after they made the Christianity the religion of the empire, somewhere in the 320s, after 325 to 787, they had councils. They gathered all the bishops. They were known and they were recognized as being an official gathering of bishops. And there they would um, wrestle with theology. Who is God? They would wrestle with the doctrines of the church, the administrations of the church over those years. Seven councils officially recognized by most. And of those ecumenical councils... um, we got the things, how is it we have the, not just the Nicene Creed, but how do we understand the Holy Trinity? What's the language we use for that? How do we say who is Mary in relationship to Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is he fully God, fully man? Is he a mix? Is he, is there modal? They had all kinds of heresies that they, rep, they had to go through. How does the Holy Spirit fit into the Holy Trinity? Over those batches of years from the 300s to the 700s, the church had to wrestle with all the variety of heresies and say, this is the truth that we hold true. And by the time they were done with that, just about everything we believe to be true about uh, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the scriptures that, and the church that contains that was mostly set. The new heresies today aren't new. They're just repeats of most of the old ones. Tough, tough times. Big thinkers that went through that. After that, we have over here in this little sliver, you can write down the word creeds. Again, things that communicate. Um, Hymns, things that communicate. Buildings. Think about how the buildings function in the life of a Christian. Nature is another thing. Now, with all of these things mentioned in here, it's like a cradle for the middle. I want you right in the middle, on the outside of that, that box, holy tradition. Holy because it's God and God's in it. God made it. It's, it's all about God. That's what makes it holy. And it's a capital T. That holy tradition, if it's holy tradition, the only thing it's going to be about is the contents. If it's a small T tradition, it could be what color vestments we use, what color robes we use different seasons and times and things like that. But if it's holy tradition, it's about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the contents of this treasure box. Write down your papers. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's in the inside of the treasure box. All of this other stuff that's around us in this circle um, is, again, the, the, like a cradle or like your hands holding it. If you were to go to a Jewish synagogue, if you wanted to know where the Torah scrolls were, they would say it's in the ark. What was the ark? It was the vessel that contained Noah's family and all the animals, right? This is the vessel that contains and presents Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It also can be known as the church, because all this is church. Before we had scriptures written, we had church. Sometimes people forget that. Sometimes they think that the church or the scriptures preceded the church. It's the church that gave us the scriptures. It's God working in and through the people of the church that gave us the scriptures. It's God working through the people that gave us liturgies. God's spirit working through the fathers. All this whole story is coming together so that we can get Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the middle in our lives. So at the end of our lesson today, it talked about a a scribe, a, a beautiful, blessed Christian scribe would be someone who could take something from the old and present it to the new. So that little circle spinning at the top of your paper, you can, it's old and new. 
Our role as Christians is to take the beauty of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, expressed through the church through all of this time, and present it to the next generation and to the next people in, in the way that we, we, we do it, which will be new. Because every time you communicate something, it's your way, it's going to be new. It's not my way, it's not the old way. However, we're taking the old and we're finding a new way of communicating. We do not have the liberty to create. We're not to be innovators. If something in the Bible says that God says don't do it, we're not in a position to say we vote, it's okay, we forget what God says, we're enlightened, and it's now new. We don't fabricate new things. We're not innovators. We take the old truth as presented, and with love, we present it in, in our way, a new way, to the next generation. So none of these components on the outside we worship. We don't worship the box, friends. We worship the contents that all these things go to. Does, do these have value? Absolutely. Again, this, this box right here, probably a couple hundred bucks to someone who collects old things. It has value. We respect it, but we will not worship it. So when it comes time, now this is where it gets a little bit personal on us. We don't worship the book. We worship the God of the book. We worship the story in the book. We, we don't worship the book. We worship God. When it comes over here on the apostles, we will remember the apostles. We will remember the saints. We will, they call it venerate. We will have venerations and be gracious for them, but we will not worship them. We won't worship the liturgy. Some people are hung up on the liturgy. I, I know some Lutherans and Catholics and other ancient church folks types that if it's not in Latin, it's not real. Well, before they were doing it in Latin, knuckleheads, they were doing it in Arabic or Greek, right? Just because, but they worshiped the liturgy. Lutherans, I know, there are some of us that might want to worship the liturgies. It's not to be worshipped. We worship God. This is a tool to worship God. Um, Saints, more saints. We don't worship saints. We don't worship councils, creeds. We don't worship the creeds, hymns. This is kind of edgy for us, touchy potentially. Some of us think that there's a certain class of music that's only good, and that's the only music for church. If you don't use that kind of music, it's not church music. And I just want to say that you're worshiping the music, you're not worshiping the God. And that happens a lot to just about anybody. Even the newfangled music that's just you know loud and proud and, and full of energy, sometimes they worship the music and not the God that the music's pointing you to. We worship God. Music is a tool to help us worship God. And now for us in this generation, how do we take the oldness of this faith and find any new tool and resource to present it? And if music is the way to do it for the next generation, then I would suggest we have our faith, we change our music, because if they don't have faith, we got to get them faith. And what's the easiest way to get them? And on our buildings, what's, some people worship buildings. All we spend all of our money, we get really good at taking care of it, eventually we spend all of our time and resources figuring out how we're going to take care of finances and buildings. I've seen churches that have more than 50% of their committees taking care of finances and buildings. And that's not church, that's a club. Shame on us. We have a chance to fix it. We have a chance to say, we're going to worship God. How's the building a tool to help us worship God? What can we put on the inside that teaches people through their eyes? What music can we play that gets them through their ears? If we already have our faith, what are we going to let go on my faith? It's so important to me, but I'm going to let it go so I can get it to them. We're going to be missional about this. Buildings, how do our buildings show God's the holy tradition? We see, we see God in nature. We're not going to worship nature. We worship God. So this whole cradle thing... It's always pointing to the middle. That's our treasure. 
on this little number one and number two, the treasure is number one, the box is number two. You flip the order, you're getting sideways on it. We don't worship music, we don't worship buildings, we don't worship any of this stuff. We worship God. That's our treasure. The box is the vessel. What else we had there? On the very bottom, there's a couple of letters with just letter P. Those two words I want you to write down. Preserve. Preserve. The reason why we have a treasure box is to collect it, to preserve it. That's why I have the box. But we also have a lid on it and we present it. Our role as Christians, we protect it, we preserve it, we know Jesus, but then we make Him known. We present it. Pre- protect and present. And again, the very on the other side, there's worshipped and, re- and respected. Worshipped is God. The box, respected. Okay? No pastor ever gets shiny enough that you ever worship a pastor. You might thank God for some of the work they do. You ask God for forgiveness for things they mess up, but our egos are small. God's big. It's all the ways that shows up in the world. Anyway, that's the thought for today. Um, God help us put it to work. Amen.